Welcome to Female Fear Factory, the podcast, a space where people share their experience with fear inherited from the systems designed to keep certain people from stepping into the joy of their personhood. On this podcast, you will hear about when fear has hurt and when community is healed. The Female Fear Factory is a performance of patriarchal policing of, of and violence towards women and others cast female who are therefore considered safe to violate. I think about how society in general, but also people who love us, speak and act um, in ways to really socialise us into fear. Fear of physical violence, fear of sexual violence, but also fear of maybe emotional withdrawal or losing family and social connections if you don't behave in certain ways that are gendered feminine or female. And I think also about, as, as I said, how a lot of times it's done out of love because the thought that the violence will end is seen as so radical and so unachievable that in a context of violence that continues, what can you do to keep the ones that you love, especially girls, young girls, safe? And I see that a lot, I mean, in my own experience, what it's safe to do, not do, um, being blamed for certain things, also the way that our stories and our myths blame women for the violence that happens to them. Um, but I also see that acting out now in younger generations and also being part of feminist communities that are trying to find different ways to parent. I would say that my first experience of any form of gender-based violence, um, although I didn't necessarily see it as such at the time, was when it came to street sexual harassment, groping and touching, which started from a very young age for me, um, and also I think for many girls. And adults can be surprised because they they see young girls, or especially young girls who are associated with them, their daughters, their granddaughters, their nieces, as being children, as being so-called innocent and pure, and they don't realize that that's not necessarily the way that others see them moving around the world. So adults can be quite surprised how young that sexual harassment can start until they think back about their own experiences. And I think for me, I was 11 when it started. And so I would be on the street waiting for a bus stop, have men come up to me, try and talk to me, um, try and induce me to go with them. I remember a library, this was in the UK, this is when I lived in the UK, a local library that I'd go to, there was this man who kept hanging out around the library and um, every time I would see him, he would come up to me and ask me to go for a drive with him. Yes, exactly. Um, and of course, you know, maybe not of course, but I, I never went for a drive with him. Um, but I also, I mean, that was just one example in India, um, having men make comments to you, sometimes touching you, touching your breath, like touching your body on the buses and public transport, there'd be groping. Um, 
And in all of these circumstances, you never felt that you could tell anybody because there was such a culture of silence. I would hope that's changed now to some extent with the conversations around gender-based violence and sexual harassment and also the way that it's more openly spoken about in society these days. Um, but but also um, the different ways that parents relate to their children. I would hope that's changed, but at least when I was young and this was I would say like the late 90s, the turn of the, the millennium, you did not feel able to tell people what was going on because you knew that it would upset them. Plus also it was such a taboo to talk about it. You didn't want to, you, you didn't even know how, you didn't have the words to describe it. Um, so yes, I would say that that was my first experience of understanding myself as safe to violate. Um, not not necessarily only because that harassment and I mean, groping, unwanted groping as sexual assault was happening, um, but also the, the safety to violate comes from not being able to tell people what was going on. And so therefore, obviously there are no consequences whatsoever for the perpetrator. When such things are happening to you and when they're happening to you so often and in the absence of anybody in your life who helps you disentangle the ways that we've all been socialized into victim blaming and victim shaming, there can be a tendency to blame yourself. So I think there's something about me or there's something about my body that makes men do this to me. And you feel that way because that is what you are told by the media, by politicians, by people in your family, um, that, you know, this this girl or this woman, she was wearing these clothes or she was out at this place or she was there at this time. And you use that's universal all over the world. Um, this idea that your actions or your inactions will protect you, whereas you know that that is not the case. As, I mean, as you grow up, uh, as I grew up, and as I became involved in feminist feminist groups and feminist organizing, you realize that that's not true. But then when you're a child, you blame yourself, you try and think of what you can do to change your own circumstances. I remember um, when I was, what was I, 20 years old, um, I was on holiday and walking back um, to the place that I was staying. Or no, actually, sorry, me and another friend were walking a third friend to the place that she was staying because she was in a neighborhood that was perhaps not as safe. And we were trying to protect her by walking her back and then walking to our place. And we got attacked by these three men who took our belongings and then ran off and left. But of course, in that moment, you don't necessarily fear theft, you fear rape, because that is what you're told. You know, if you work and if you walk at night in certain places and men come up to you, that is what's going to happen. And also in some way, why were you there? Um, and I remember after this happened in the months afterwards, really um, after I came home, just simple things like walking to the supermarket and not feeling safe. 
because I thought that something would happen as it had already happened in the past. And I remember making a conscious decision and I remember saying to myself, Chitra, are you going to live like this forever? Or like, what is your vision of the world? Are you going to assume threat and danger and that everybody is a potential perpetrator and live your life in fear? Or are you going to live another way? And I remember making a conscious decision to not live my life influenced by fear of what may happen. And this is why when I work in conflicts affected areas, which is where I spend a lot of my time. So I spent years living in my degree in Northeast Nigeria. I've traveled extensively in the Lake Chad region, in Niger, Chad, Cameroon. I was recently in Mali. I'm going to Mozambique, um, two conflict affected areas where of course there is a really high level of risk and especially a certain kind of gendered risk if you're you are a woman i have people asking me my friends also how do you have the courage to still do that work be careful and i think for me it's not that i'm not conscious about the risks i am conscious about the risks and they're very real but it's about how i continue living the life i want to live and doing the work that i love and which gives me purpose and meaning and also contributes to assisting and helping the people with whom I work and for whom I work. So it's, it's finding a way to do that despite the fear and whether that means changing what I do, so maybe not going to certain locations today because it's not safe today or if, if it's putting in place different security strategies and actions um, I think it's important, to, and, and of course, every single person comes to a different place on this. For me, it's important for me to continue doing this work and continue living this life, despite the fear. By understanding and analyzing where this fear comes from, that this fear is legitimate in a world where individuals, governments, societies don't act, to protect people, I mean, in general, but also particularly women, girls, uh, people who are gender non-conforming, like in the absence of that pr protection and in the absence of action to prevent violence, this fear is legitimate. And so it's understanding that, it's embracing it, figuring out what your anxieties are, where they come from, and then developing guidelines for yourself on what that means for you. So what are you what do you feel safe doing, not doing? What can you do to support and protect yourselves and one another? And then what are your boundaries? And making sure that you communicate those boundaries and you stay within those boundaries. And honestly, I also think that a real benefit for me has been part has been being part of feminist groups, movements, mobilization. So you're not only feeling the fear and trying to decide how to deal with the fear yourself, but you're also in community with others of trying to attack and trying to deal with the causes of this fear, which is the patriarchal nature of our societies. I am Chitra Nagarajan co-editor of She Call Me Woman, and this has been my female fear factory story.